this is Jade, the executive producer of the Back to Back Pod. This is Thursday. It is Nerder She Wrote Day with Dave Dufour, Coach David Thorpe, our guest today, Adam Marez. I think I said that right, Adam, the uh, site manager for DenverStiffs.com. He is a Nuggets expert, and today's pod is, is very, very good. Before we begin, if you haven't already, go to fanduel.com forward slash B2B. Sign up there, deposit five bucks, get five bucks, play one time with us and support the show. That's all I ask. On Wednesday, we do a challenge. It's up in the morning, and the winner of that, if we can connect, gets to come on to the mailbag and gloat. Also, subscribe to the Daily Ding, the NBA Daily Ding. 20 minutes every morning. Zach and company uh, recap the night in the NBA. It's a super, super cool show. Uh, please subscribe and rate, review, all that stuff. Also, if you're a fan of uh, Black Opinions, Monday Matter, Matter Monday, you can find that on its own feed now too. B-O-M-M on your favorite podcast platforms. And finally, uh, if you do want to subscribe to some exclusive content, go to patreon.com forward slash count the dings and uh, support the movement. And uh, it would be greatly appreciated, of course. All sorts of cool things with that discord. We're planning on doing a a video show uh, coming up next Wednesday. We'll see how that goes. And then additionally, hopefully we'll be doing stuff behind the wall. Um, But in any case, uh, it does help uh, support the the CTD movement. All right, enjoy the show. What's up, Adam? Adam, what's Jade, up? Jade, hey, Adam. Jade. Good to meet you, man. Have we ever met? We have not. This is it. I never met you at summer league. No, unfortunately, sadly, my favorite week of the year. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, it should be fun. Dave, Dave's one of my favorite people. Don't let him hear that. Yeah, no, I don't know. We don't need me to get any more ego. That's definitely true. Coach, you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. Coach, Adam, Adam, coach. Hey, Adam. Uh, hey, so good to meet you. I, I, I have your book right here. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of yours. Big fan for, for several years, well before I got into this whole thing. So this awesome. is a, a real treat for me. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, when Adam got on, he was saying he was a big fan of Dave. I don't think he was talking about Dufour. <laughs> I made it purposefully ambiguous. He's an intelligent man. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Back to Back Podcast. This is Nerder She Wrote. I'm your host, Dave Dufour. Joining me as always... Sporting a nice, uh, what do we call it? What color is this? Blue. Blue, just just regular blue tank top. Coach Thorpe, live from Florida. How, how's it going down there? We're in a bit of a cold spell, but it's warm in my office. I think we're in the 60s today. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. I have one time with me. Did you see uh, a meme on, uh, on Instagram complaining about the weather? Phoenix? Yeah. No, no, no. no. In Miami. I guess oh, he was Miami. in yeah. town for Levitard, and it was like 62. And he was like, I didn't <laughs> sign up for this. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love I, it. Well, it's actually pretty warm here today in, in Texas. I think it's like seventy. Um, so, but we have these crazy weather swings uh, right now. Like it'll be fifty tomorrow or something, and it's a little bit humid, so like fifty feels a lot colder. Um, and, and I can't quite get the temperature nailed down. So, like in the middle of the night, sometimes I have to wake up. Luckily, I have a nest, so I get to do this the like most lazy way possible. Roll over, grab my phone, and adjust the temp 
inside <laughs> my house without having to walk into the living room to change the temperature. Technology is amazing. That I is peak it. laziness there. Yeah. I do yeah. love it though. And, and a man who knows about laziness, actually, no, he doesn't. He's one of the busiest guys I know. Uh, my good buddy, the head honcho at Denver Stiffs, which is SB Nation's Denver Nuggets site. He's also the host of Locked On Nuggets, Adam Marez. Beautiful nailed pronunciation. Nailed that was, that was, you did. You nailed it. It sounded that's, great. That's right. Uh, Adam, uh, you're, you're having your garage repaired. A lot of garage talk. <laughs> I am. On this, on this <laughs> I am. I've had an eventful morning, but um, that is among the things I have on the docket today. But I pushed it back for this pod. This pod takes priority over everything else. <laughs> yes, uh, and we, we won't talk about what it was. But I couldn't believe that you were still doing the podcast when you told me what happened. <laughs> your, your wife is going to be angry. Uh, <laughs> so this is like a return to the dad pod um, because you know I, I'm just a dog dad, and I don't say that by the way. That's that's weird. People who call themselves parents. <laughs> That's weird. But, uh, you know, and, and I was, I was telling coach, uh, Adam's got two young girls and, and coach, you've got two kids that are almost out of the house. Yeah. So I thought this is a great opportunity to get some, some dad advice for my <laughs> buddy, Adam <laughs> who, with two girls. I, I mean, are, are girls easier to raise than, than boys? I don't I, know. There's has to be no question about this, at least because my girls are two and four. So at these ages, I've got a lot of friends with with toddler boys, and they are at least 10 times more challenging than my girls are. Was that your experience? It's not even close. Uh, (laughs) Girls are way harder. Yeah, it's not even close. Way harder. Yeah, Jay. But not at at two and four. Adam's got – Adam, just let's put it this way. Do you like roller coasters, Adam? Yeah. <laughs> That's what it's going to be, huh? <laughs> I don't like them. I never have liked them in my life. But uh, this roller coaster ride is the sweetest of all time. But trust me, it, it, it takes you up and down. And my daughter is, I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't call her the best daughter in the world or anything like that. But she's great. You know, she's a great student. She's fun. But, oh, yeah, it's a roller coaster like, like nothing I can imagine. My son eats, plays ball. Eats, showers, yes. eats, studies, yes. eats, sleeps. That's it. It's my guy. That's it. That's what he does. He has no <laughs> time for girls. Budget. He'll he'll play video games. He's not allowed to play until the weekends with his high school teammates. But they're playing NBA 2K, and then they go play. And they play the video game, then they play. They just had a game last night. If we had let him, he probably would have played video after the game was over. Uh, it's much harder with girls, but it's also probably more rewarding as a guy anyway. Um, whatever. I mean, I wouldn't choose one or the other. I would choose either or. They're I'll both t- amazing. The one thing I'll tell you, Dave, or any prospective parents out there, I I'm 34 years old and the first 30 years of my life went by at a very nice pace, you know, enjoyed it. <laughs> the last four years have been like a week. It, it, it has just flown by. Once you have kids, they, because so much changes month by month that your life becomes these like markers that just fly by. It's like having a puppy that grows up very slowly. Is how I, that's how Extremely I view it from slowly. the outside. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say one thing for the record. I did not know we were doing video. <laughs> I, when I've done, Jade and I have done 150 video shows together. Always that I wear a polo, sometimes a nice t-shirt or a Henley or a button down. I wore a tank top because I thought we were doing audio. So well, the video is probably not going out. Here. No, no, the video is probably not going out, but this is uh, yeah, this is, for in-house, in-house purposes. This Got is for it. research. We're going to go back and we're going to watch the tape. We're going to, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we could be, we, we might as well promo. We're, we're trying to work on a, a weekly Wednesday video production. 
Uh, oh, wow. And so this is, we were testing it yesterday and then it helps. It just helps in, in the, in the, right? Yeah. Well, maybe, not. This, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe this it's, bad, guy in a maybe it's top a bad idea. <laughs> no, I think it, you know, again, it, it, for, for me, like, I just think it's, it brings it. It's it's a better conversation when you get to see each other. It's more like real life. Like this is one of my things, and I, Adam knows about this. Like I love summer league, yeah. And I'm working the entire time. Like I don't get to have fun like a lot of people do because we're we're doing sports business classroom and stuff like that. But that's fun to me. But my favorite part is I actually get to have face to face conversations with people that I actually work with through the internet all year long. Like and so this is this kind of bridges the gap. Like having the video chat, like, I mean, this is very like inside baseball as far as <laughs> podcasting goes, but man, I really love that. And I think, you know, it's nice to see everybody's face, right? Like I know that you're not, uh, that you're engaged and that I'm not boring you. If I can see your face, of course, if I see your face and see that I'm boring you, it, it hurts my feelings. So maybe it's <laughs> double edged sword. There's a um, reason why we can't see Jade, by the way, cause he's not even paying attention right now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's let's move on to basketball briefly uh, and we can get back to kids stuff later. But uh, Adam, your nuggets, uh, they are currently third in the league. We're 25 percent of the way through the season. They have the third best defense in the league. We are past the point of being able to claim small sample size. Uh, just tell me how much Paul Millsap is responsible for this. Oh, I, I, an enormous amount. I, I think, you know, you look at it. The number one thing I would say with Denver is that they just, it's cliche to say, but this is the year they bought in. You got a young team. I think they're still the second youngest team in the NBA. And a lot of times you have to learn the hard way, just how important it is to have that defensive focus in October and November, how important it is to have it in the first quarter and all those things. So I think Denver's effort is, it has been incredible from everybody on the court, but Paul Millsap is that anchor behind everything that sort of makes everything go. Uh, Nikola Jokic playing up on pick and rolls. He's aggressive. And that only works if you have that back line of defense that rotates on time and anticipates well. And Millsap, he is entertaining to watch defensively because of how well he anticipates what's about to happen. He's just always the first guy to the spot uh, of the action. And and he's just tremendous. So I think he, he gets a majority of the credit for their improvement. Uh, coach, I, I don't know if you got to catch Mike Malone's uh, post game interview the other night. No. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, this is an all timer. An all timer. He he basically said that uh, you know, the the Lakers. I, actually, Adam, I'm sure you know the exact quote. I was trying to find it, but uh, I didn't have it pulled up. Go ahead. Well, the the full quote was a good minute long, and I have to set some context here that you know Denver is a great city. It's a transplant city. There's a lot of people from California here, as well as Chicago, Boston, everything else. And when Denver plays the Lakers, it is always a road game at home. You know, there's always, it's always flooded with Lakers fans as it is in many cities. Well, this year it was a road game. There was Lakers chance going on during the game and Denver won. And Michael Malone, I think, uh, sort of said what every Denver native and Denver nuggets fan feels, which is, you know, we're not going to change this. It's always going to be this way. Their brand is so big. They're always going to have this. And he said, so the warrior fans can come in here. The Celtic fans can come in here. Laker fans come in here. But take that L on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was a walk off. He said that and walked off the off the thing. And it was just such a great rallying cry. I think that every Nuggets fan that's had to endure that thinks that's right. Coach, walk out with the L. I, I mean, listen, I, I've actually been a fan of what Mike Malone has done in Denver. I think anytime you can have a team as young as this one has been 
and improve year over year, you're doing a really good job. I mean, that is ultimately the job. Like when you come into a rebuilding situation and you can improve year over year, you're doing great. Like you should have job security. Uh, how do you feel about Mike Malone, the coach, like what you see on the court and how you see him relate to his players? Well, first of all, yeah, take those L's now because next year when they've got LeBron Davis and Kevin Durant, <laughs> I think but um, I honestly did not like him very much in Sacramento at all. I thought he was given credit for being some kind of cousins whisperer when I, I absolutely thought he was a cousins enabler. Uh, that doesn't make him unique. I mean, he's a, a enigmatic guy to coach. Um, but I mean, his, his background is pretty strong in basketball and they, they're not loaded with talent without Will Barton. I think that's a big loss with, with him. Jokic is obviously great. And, and, and Millsap, uh, Harrison Murray are still relatively young. They're not at their peak. And so you got to look at coaching for at least a part of that. I thought, uh, I was really friendly with Brett Barrett who passed away. Brett was like the Same. owner of him, man. And was a big part of that team, more so than anyone ever realizes. I've been part of negotiations for free agents where Bear ran the entire negotiation. Uh, people didn't realize that, I don't think. Um, I, I've known Tim since Tim was a low-level scout, and now he's a GM. Uh, they, they've got some cooking there. He, here's, here's something I want Adam to, to help us with, because we'll give you an answer maybe to, to what Malone's been able to do. So... I looked at cleaning the glass today. Uh, when Millsap and Jokic are on the court, there are all those lineups with those two are plus 11. You want to guess what their lineups with over 600 possessions when Jokic and Millsap are not in? You know what that plus minus is? No. What would you guess? Are you saying when one is on, but the other is both not? Are off. When both when, are oh, off. Oh, when both are off. I would guess it would be high because of how good the bench has played this year. I mean, the bench has been fantastic. Right. Plus 14. Plus 14. Even better when they're on the bench. They're two yeah. monster stars. Uh, and and I think they're still lacking some depth. Tori, I don't think Craig is the answer, although they've done yeah. okay with him. He's, yeah. not, he's not been playing well. So that's a credit to management and coaching when you can put your players down. Because I tell you what, the Warriors suck when Curry goes out compared to where he's in. So that tells you something. Denver's got some cook in there. And I think Will Barton has been a big loss. He's... He's a guy that I felt really grew into a hell of a role. I don't know when he's coming back, but uh, he's going to, he's going to, they're going to get better this year. Not worse. Coach, I think you brought up, hang on. You brought up uh, Will Barton and I, I don't want to miss this point because Adam and I talked quite a bit about Will Barton this summer and how important he was as a playmaker. I actually think that when he comes back, their offense is going to improve tremendously, yes. but here's, here's my question for you, Adam. Would you would you move Wancho back to the bench, or would you bring Will Barton off the bench as a way to even to bolster that second unit even more? This this is an easy answer for me. I'd absolutely bring Barton back. There's not an enormous sample size of all five guys playing together over two years, but the sample size we do have is fantastic. And when you put any four of those guys in on the court, the numbers are fantastic as well. He, here's what's happening with the Nuggets offense because it's actually been the defense has been so overwhelmingly good that people haven't realized the offense has actually stepped back a little bit. And Nikola, no, it's, still still top, it's number seven, I think. So. Yeah. They're still really good, but I think they actually have the firepower to be a top two or three offense in the NBA. And Nikola Jokic is such a, a good setup guy, and he's a really good finisher when somebody else is setting the table. But you look at that starting lineup, he is prime he is the primary playmaker for, for the Denver Nuggets. Jamal Murray 
is a combo guard. I don't think he's a natural point guard and he's, he's really plays conservatively, especially in the pick and roll. So Jokic is not getting a lot of those easy pick and roll shots that a center traditionally gets. Will Barton is phenomenal at that. Two seasons ago, they were the number one Jokic and Barton, the number one pick and roll duo, according to synergy and, and points per possession. They were fantastic. You wouldn't guess those two, but he is a Barton is such a Jack of all trades type of offensive player. He's a good finisher and a good setup guy. And so for Denver this season, I think Jokic has moved into almost exclusively the setup role. Uh, I have some, some kind of fascinating numbers for you here. The nuggets are four and five this season. When Jokic scores 20 or more, they're 10 and two. When he scores under 20, they're four and six. When he takes 14 or more shots and 10 and one, when he takes 13 or fewer. And then here's the craziest one. They're 11 and three. When he has six or more assists and three or four, three and four, when he has five or fewer. So to me, this, this says that the nuggets right now only have one facilitator in that starting lineup and it's Jokic and they need him to do so much facilitating that when Barton comes back, they'll have a much more balanced approach where they're much less predictable. And that one loss was the, when he had one shot against <laughs> yeah. Memphis, right? Um, a bit of a protest game from him. I think right. yeah, he refused to shoot. <laughs> yeah. And so if he had just taken five shots, they probably win that game. I mean, his one shot was at the, at the buzzer. So, I mean, that yeah. guy, that's that's a great stat. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. Like again, Will Barton, what he does, he's a nominal point guard for that team. Yep. Uh, coach, uh, Jamal Murray gets compared to Steph Curry quite a bit. He obviously doesn't have the gravity, but, but he's kind of a similar player where that's what they want him to do to create gravity. How can they actually make him more effective and, and kind of unlock stuff for Jokic and then Will Barton when he comes back? Well, it goes to something Adam said before. Um, it's an understanding of your role uh, as a as a guard in today's game. I, I like to use the term weaponized. And I have a son who's a pretty serious player. They, his team just had a huge win last night for the first game of the year on the road, and he had been out for five weeks. And it didn't. It it, it took until maybe mid third quarter for him to start kind of asserting himself. Uh, he fits in great in the nineties when it was game manager. He's a brilliant game manager as a coach's son, but I'd rather have five weapons than four. And uh, I think that's the problem, like we've talked about, I think before Dave, with Ricky Rubio as game manager, it was in his DNA coming from Spain. That's how they that's how they played for his team in Madrid and, and, and for the Spanish national team. And it's a problem. You, you, you want to free those guys up to say, uh, what I always tell point guards is, Think, score, then read. Everything you do is with this scoring mentality, but always reading simultaneously. So, so if indeed the reads to shoot or drive to score, you're not doing it because nothing else is there because you'll probably miss. You're doing it because that's your mission. And you, it's, it's, this is the challenge, walking that line of, I'm thinking score, but I'm not open enough, so boom. Now I have to read where, where the guy is open. I tell you who's a master at that is Jokic. Jokic understands if I'm supposed to shoot, that's why he's shooting more in some games. That's the read. The defense yeah. is designing that. They, they want that to happen because, let me tell you something, when he isn't open, it necessarily means someone probably is very open. And that's why their offense kind of gets unlocked. So Murray's got to have it, it takes a while, that mentality of scoring and reading as opposed to scoring and if nothing else, then I'll throw it or 
I'd rather pass. Both of those options are not nearly as good, productive, efficient. Those things don't work the same. It, it takes some time. And also, I remember there's a great way to teach it. Uh, you guys are significantly younger than me, but you remember Steve Nash, right? Yeah. They played a series once against <laughs> Dallas, and Rick Carlisle made the decision to not let Nash dice them up with passes. So Nash averaged like 30-something series, and they lost the series. And I remember watching that, and then I think it was a year or so later, Nash was scoring a bunch because teams were doing similar things. And uh, Sean Marion, you remember him? Yeah. yeah. So Sean Marion. We're, not, we're not that young. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're yeah. mid-30s. <laughs> yeah, I got two decades on you guys. Yeah. Uh, Marion was asked about um, Nash's increased shooting, and he just said, like, if he shoots the ball, we know it's the right read. And is what he was saying indirectly is like that dude, we know he wants to pass the ball, but we have to ask him to play the game the right way. And if the defense is saying we're not letting you pass it, we need but at that point. It was probably right. the best shooter in history of the game. We need the best shooter in history of the game to shoot the ball. And, and uh, that's what Murray has to do. And his teammates have to see, to me, it wasn't just Nash earning that it was Marion acknowledging, Hey, You've done enough. Shoot the thing every time you want. We get it. We'll understand. And that's what Murray's got the confidence to do. His teammates can help with that. It's such interesting insight on Jokic. I think you're spot on. And I think it's one thing people kind of just don't understand that don't watch him a lot is that he has this calculation in his brain that tells him when to shoot and when not to. And that the equation is so far to just find the best shot. Cause I think he really believes the team can get an a plus shot on almost every possession. And if that didn't happen in the first few seconds, just keep going. You'll find it. Um, that calculation does change in the final minutes of a game. And I think that's the thing that he's probably still learning, but with Jamal Murray, you know, the, the biggest control for the Denver Nuggets this season statistically is turnovers. When they turn the ball over, they lose. And when they don't turn the ball over, they win. That's true of a lot of teams, but especially for Denver. And Jamal Murray, I think this year is so focused on not turning the ball over and, and not taking the wrong shot, as you mentioned, that it, it's, it's a thing that he's going to have to slowly sort of become more riskier throughout the year to find out what that right balance point is. But right now, there's a lot of passes in the pick and roll that he's passing up because he feels they're just a little too risky when, when they're probably not. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about Jokic, but actually more generally, I want to swing back to a conversation that coach and I had a few weeks ago where we talked about the resurgence of the big man in the NBA and, and how they've become so much more important. Uh, You know, we're, we're not quite seeing the pendulum swing all the way back away from small ball. Almost every team has a small ball lineup. But with it, the season Embiid is having, the importance of him, the importance of Jokic, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, and what he's Marcus now Hall. doing, Marcus Gasol, exactly. I think that uh, you know it, it, this is an important topic to swing back to, in particular because after we, you and I had our conversation, Adam texted me almost immediately after the podcast dropped to say, "Oh man, I have some takes on this." So uh, <laughs> you know, I've talked a lot about uh, offenses generating looks out of the post in particular, the mid post. I mean, obviously the warriors do that with a ton of split cuts and things like that. Um, but I think that when you get a guy like Jokic who can facilitate as well as he can from the elbow and the wing, it's, it's sort of like you've got an inverse inside out game, but with a big who can, if he gets a a mismatch can actually flip that into a post up. And, And I think that that's a kind of a rare 
tool in the league at this point, I think more teams are going to go to that. Are, are you seeing the same thing coach? Well, yeah, I, I know Adam wants to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's put it this way. Uh, you know, teams are, everyone's loading up ball side. Uh, you know, Thibodeau kind of brought that back in the NBA. It's always how, how a lot of us were taught in, in the eighties and, and how to play defense. And, and so if the ball's on one side of the court, you can, you can shrink the court in a sense defensively by flooding ball side, right? And the idea is that on a skip pass or any kind of pass that's more than what we call one slot away, one position away, while the ball is traveling, the defense is moving back towards where the ball is, right? Orienting back towards the ball. And so the ball has to travel a pretty long ways. The, the challenge of defending pinch post action, mid post action is that pass, every pass is one pass away, not yeah. two passes away. So if you want to load towards the ball, your weak side offensive game is going to go up because your weak side defensive game is really going to be challenged because there's just not enough time to get there in time to defend, contest the three and the drive. It's very hard to do both for guys that can do both. That's, that's why you need to run those kinds of offenses. You know, Jeff Petrie kind of brought with Rick Adelman the corners offense, which was predicated a lot on what we're talking about here with C-Webb and then Vlade and then Brad Miller, okay? Uh, it was a great offense then. It would destroy now. And if you want to know what I mean by that, just look at Adelman's last team with Kevin Love. They're starting five, number two in the league, I believe, and plus minus is starting five. Martin Brewer, Rubio, who was terrible, Love and Pekovic because they ran that offense and they just had no bench at all. That team was very good. And Love was an MVP candidate. Right. And so as more and more teams have adopted that, because as defenses have to shrink towards the ball, you need to have a quicker way to get to both sides of the court and also be a threat to score from where the ball is. That's what's going on. In addition to that, because I love that about every pass being one pass away, especially in that high post, uh, you know, on the elbow. The other thing about it is it's incredibly difficult to guard a a cutter when they're coming off of the elbow screen. The Spurs in 2014 were one of the best teams I've ever, ever seen at this. They would use their two bigs on each elbow and just run guys cutting off them. And if you're guarding somebody on the wing who cuts going away from the basket to the top of the key to defend them, to take away the three point line inherently means you're out of position to guard them on the curl. So no matter which way you go on that screen, you're almost always out of position. It's very difficult to, when that's the pivot point of the offense, it's difficult to defend both the basket and the three point line and good passers and teams that know how to play off of that, to cut and move and fill and replace off of that. It's just, there's, there's just so many options that come off of it. And what I think is interesting is over the last two or three seasons, we're seeing a lot of players who did not traditionally do this before their career start to do that. I mean, Andre Drummond is one of the ones that I find the most interesting because he's over the last couple seasons, he's really changed where he is on the court and, and how he's doing it. Now he's not the best example in terms of, you know, productivity, but it just shows that there's so many teams now that are trying to push their players in that direction. And it actually is the most entertaining type of basketball in my opinion. Well, and the other thing that's happening is you're seeing teams look for inefficiencies as they always do. The offensive rebound, starting with those those Thibodeau uh, when he was an assistant in Boston, him and Doc Rivers just completely punting on offensive rebounds to get back in transition for defense. You're seeing teams like Oklahoma City and Detroit who are starting two bigs or playing two bigs often together 
putting a premium on getting to the offensive glass and giving themselves opportunities. I, I think that this is something where teams that maybe don't have the offensive talent can just throw some bigs out there and get some, get some extra chances. Another interesting thing about the offensive rebounding, because Denver has been phenomenal in transition defense this year and number one in offensive rebound percentage. So they kind of get the best of both worlds. And I think the reason is because they are so good at spreading the defense out. It has less to do with sending multiple guys and more to do when your defense is flying around and rotating and stretched out along the three point line, you only have to send one guy. And now the rebound becomes more of a 50, 50 proposition while you can still send four guys back. Well, you well, know, it's funny you bring that up. They're actually tied for first with Oklahoma City, <laughs> and Oklahoma City has the best defense in the league. Wow. So yeah. you can do both. Uh, well, you're going to see in the NBA soon, because we're seeing it a little bit in Europe, uh, some good teams, one in particular. You're going to start seeing teams setting four and five of the offensive glass because of kind of what Adam was saying there. You're able to do that and still get back. And that's why, I mean, Stan Van Gundy, when he was in Orlando, uh, Richard Lewis was their four, Dwight was their five. They only sent Dwight. They only sent, Hilo Turklu didn't go to the glass, Courtney Lee, the two, Jermaine Nelson, obviously, it was just Dwight. Everyone else got back. Uh, and his argument was, we're a very good defensive team if they can't score in transition, so I'll make them deal with it all the time. Uh, there's some teams experimenting in Europe with four or five of the glass every possession, <laughs> and we can still get back, and they're doing it. And it's working. And then they're killing it on the glass also because, of course, it's harder to get a break when the other team's scoring. So right. uh, if you score in that first possession, you score in the offensive rebound. Either way, problem solved with the transition D. So it's the game is always ebb and flow, right? It'll right. be interesting to see who commits because I say some. So OKC now is a, is a high-level rebounding team. Imagine if they sent – I mean, Westbrook's the best offensive rebounder in the, in the history of the modern game at the point guard spot, right? Oscar Robinson right. might've been better, maybe, but it, it had been modern game, no. Uh, with Paul George, of course, with Adams, there, there could be a hellacious offensive rebound, and they could get maybe 35, 40% of, of, uh, of missed shots. They really could get that high. What, I don't know what their offensive rebound is now. What They're is it? 32% right now. Yeah, so they could wow. go 35, 40, maybe 42, if they committed a little bit more. Those are astounding numbers and still get back on defense. Cause remember those guys aren't slow, right? Steve Adams is not slow. Right. Yeah. That guy can move. Jeremy Grant is not slow. So if you're a team like OKC or like Denver, I don't know if that Denver is as athletic as OKC. They're young. And I think that plays to their benefit. They have energy. Young guys are stupid. They don't think they'll ever get tired. <laughs> it's definitely uh, true. Let's see how they're doing in March and April. Right. But, um, it's a way if you're looking for a way to unseat a clearly superior team like a healthy Golden State team, this will be a way to do that potentially. Denver yeah, you know, the season seven games is enough. You said do it four times in seven. Denver has played Golden State as well as anybody in the NBA over the last three or four years in the in the Nikola Jokic era, and a lot of that is sort of what you were alluding to earlier, Dave, about when teams go small, you have to be able to punish them and not just in yeah. one spot, but in multiple spots. And, you know, Draymond as good as he is defensively just really struggles against Jokic in the post. And even when they try to push him out on the perimeter, Jokic can still sort of facilitate that offense from all over different, different parts. So, um, they're, they're really, really good at those, at those types of things. But the other thing about offensive rebounding, I like the idea of sending multiple guys, but it, to me, intuitively, it just seems like it would, there's a really low 
uh, amount of guys you could send before it becomes consistently a negative. But what offensive rebounding and crashing the offensive glass from the perimeter is a lot like cutting. To me, you can't have four guys cutting at once. There's there's moments where you read you're the cutter. This is your opportunity to be the guy that 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 makes the cut. And it's the same for offensive rebounding. If you've succeeded in the half court to put the defense behind you and trailing the play, there is one guy who has a nice angle to it. And I think guys like Gary Harris are such good cutters. They also happen to be great at this skill. Juancho Hernan Gomez, a phenomenal cutter, also a phenomenal offensive rebounder. And it's for, because of that reason. He knows when it's his turn. He's the guy that has the best chance to grab that board. I think that's actually what Dennis Rodman was so amazing at. He could, he could read the rebound, you know, like he knew where the ball was going to go and he was able to beat guys to the spot. I mean, he obviously wasn't huge and he, I mean, he was a good athlete, but he was getting to the ball because of, you know, that, that sort of IQ, the rebounding IQ, which is something that I've never even thought of outside of Dennis Rodman. But I think you're right. And, And then the prevalence of the three, you're getting longer rebounds. So it makes sense that we should see guards, and wait yeah, you're not, to rebound you're not crashing the glass, right? It's you're more just, just being yourself a chance. I mean, I coach players a lot. Yeah. Get to a position where you give yourself a chance. Yeah. I, I, I just broke down tape of, of her player today. He ran to the rim where there was a big six eleven guy there <laughs> and he was at 15 feet. Just stay there. Yeah. As it happened, the ball rebounded right to where he was. But <laughs> if they had gone to where he was going, he wouldn't have won over the six eleven dude. Right. Stay, uh, stay out. But what you can't do is stay on the perimeter. You can't stay behind three. You got to give yourself that 15 foot range, preferably in the middle. What I always tell players, even, even if they're in the winger corner, uh, 50% of shots from the winger corner go to, uh, one side or the other 50% go towards the middle. They get tipped. It hits the back of the rim and bounces off and hits the front of the rim too and goes forward. They're not always side to side. Uh, Go to the middle. Half the rebounds go there. Give yourself a chance. Speaking of innovations coming from Europe, uh, Ethan Strauss, host of the House of Strauss and uh, writer for The Athletic, wrote a, a great article. I love when Ethan thinks big picture. He's actually, I, I think, one of the best thinkers we have in basketball. No doubt. Esoterically. Um, he was talking about the next trillion dollar innovations. He he, uh, you know, he mentioned uh, Mike D'Antoni bringing pace in space, the Eurostep coming with Manu and things like that. Um, the, the I don't want to spoil the article completely, but... Uh, one thing that I definitely want to talk about is passing off the backboard. That was like the Love number it. one on his list. It's one I actually use this in pickup, uh, and, <laughs> and it just throws people off. Um, I, I like to throw the the skip pass to the to the opposite wing off the top of the backboard, the top corner. Uh, I suck at pool, but for some reason I can actually throw this pass. And coach, I know you worked with Jason Williams, so yeah. this is like. Did you innovate this? Is this your idea? Okay. No, I didn't really. Yeah. What what happened is Jason's agent at the time uh, was Pete D'Alessandro. Now, is he in Denver right now? He's in Orlando. He's the assistant in Orlando. Orlando. I can't keep track of these guys anymore. He was an agent. And Pete's brother-in-law is a guy named Steve Sharina, who coached Kevin Martin in college. And Kevin was trained with me in college. And so I knew Pete through Steve. And he called me one day and said, I have a client named Jason Williams. I said, I know Jason is. He played for the Gators with two guys that I trained 
where I live and where my fact where my son goes to the school they went to now. Um, and I knew Jason enjoyed smoking and I was just kind of starting out my brand and I didn't really want to associate with a known pothead, but he was a hell of a player. And, um, I, he said, can you just let him come in the gym when you guys are there? And I said, sure. So back then I actually allowed, I don't let my players play anymore, but I did then. So we trained for 90 minutes, whatever, then they'd play. And Jason would come. I think he was stoned every single time, but maybe I was wrong. One of the nicest, sweetest guys. In fact, there's a chapter in my book that Adam read in the book about uh, uh, hammering nails. Yep. I got that from Jason. When I just said, how are you so incredible? You're the best ball handling I've, ball I've ever seen. He's like, ah, coach, I'm just hammering nails. And I just thought that was genius. But in our five on five games, I'm like, holy fuck, was this guy magical. He would come <laughs> down the lane full speed and throw that thing off the board. Like we had some good high school players playing pickup sometimes and he'd hit them in stride and score. But the greatest thing he did was, uh, the, there was a, there's a wall, maybe 10 feet behind the rim at the, at the gym. And he was dribbling two on one and he just threw a baseball pass off the wall, hit our guy in stride for a layup, clearly <laughs> illegal, <laughs> but it was so great. No one, ca- he didn't care. He's, uh, Amazing He's an artist. And now on the innovative side, uh, I, it's a, it's a risky play. Sure. The rim is there to screw things up. Uh, if you, I would argue it this way. If you have to use the board to get the ball to a guy, it's probably not the best play. That doesn't mean there might not be some genius artist somewhere that can do it. And if you can, that's great. It shows up in scouting. And so if teams start cheating towards that, you'll do something different. Uh, I don't know that it's a trillion dollar idea. I don't know what the first trillion dollar idea is. This is well, another trillion dollar idea. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's more going to be playground than, than real basketball because we keep track of turnovers and guys get paid at the turnover. Yeah. Well, one of the other things he brought up was the faux post up, which, which we talked about a little bit where you post up with the, you know, the intention is just to run the offense out of the post even to draw a double team, you know, like with a guy like Embiid. I mean, this is, this is already happening, but no, but I, I like just to get back to this backboard thing. And yeah. I know I'm, I'm with <laughs> coach Thorpe on this because I do think it's more, it's not a trillion dollar idea, but I think there actually are moments where this can work. And primarily oh, yeah. you, you see it with the pass to the self off the backboard. I actually right, think yeah. there's more players that could utilize that. It feels weird. I, agree. To do. I used to play with a guy. He was his name, Jonathan Sanders, who was a point guard at St. Mary's had a very successful career in Europe for a lot of years. Uh, and he, every, he would always throw this pass where he would drive the lane into traffic and heave the ball hard off the backboard to a three point shooter. So it was a really funny ricochet, but you think as soon as the shot goes up, everybody turns and runs to the basket. It was kind of a funny one. Um, but I do think there's a lot of Kobe assists that, that can be off the back where you're, you're trapped on the block and you have nowhere right. to go with two guys. You overshoot it too. Cause you have an offensive rebounder wide open. I do think there's little things like this. Ethan's broader point though, in the story was about how much we learn the game of basketball through tradition. And I'm such a non-traditionalist. I love this idea. There's so many great, especially big men. There's so many great big men in the history of the NBA who came to basketball late and didn't learn basically the fundamental quote unquote fundamentals or traditions of the game. And Akeem Olajuwon who invented so many great post moves really out of his own creativity. And, um, I, I think that goes with passing too. Nikola Jokic, over the head behind the, he's throwing these passes at all these angles, water polo. And and I think it comes a lot exactly from other sports and just from not being bogged down with, this is how you throw a bounce pass. This is how you throw a chess pass, but rather the angles. Um, so I think there's something there. 
Well, here's my question for you guys. And, and I'll start because I, I think we might actually get a debate out of what I would change. Uh, the, the next innovation that I want to see is I want the NBA. I want basketball in general. Cause I feel like this play is dangerous to ban the charge. If you're not guarding the man, you shouldn't be able to slide in front and draw the charge. I think it's dangerous. And I think it goes against the spirit of the rule. I, I think the rule itself is fine. Like if you're guarding someone and you're in front of them, uh, you know, they can't, they shouldn't just be able to drive right through you, but sliding over in front of a guy that's actually playing basketball is dangerous. And I hate it. I want it so, to go so away. You're saying it should be automatic block. Like anything. I else. think it should be a block. Yeah. And, and I think it'll, it, it, what you'll find is you'll actually have guys, you know, you'll have to defend, uh, this, this came up again recently because of the kid from Wisconsin that drew five charges. <laughs> oh my gosh. I sent a video to my son. last uh, night. Sorry. And it was, it was clear to me that on most of those, he had no intention to guard. There was the one where the, where the, the guy was driving and used his forearm to push yeah, off. That was that a real was, foul, but you know, the, the intent to guard has to be there. Um, and I, I love Bomani Jones uh, on high noon yesterday said, have some self-respect. And I agree with that completely, but also like respect the game. Like, like the spirit of the game is you're out there trying to defend and, and you're doing what you can, you're doing your best, but just jumping in front of the guy is not playing defense coach. Are you with me? Come on. Well, it depends on what you want to call this game. Do you know the story of, um, I, I put this some, I don't know if I mentioned this in my book or not, but I got it from the book, uh, the little red book, Harvey panic, Adam, that's what inspired me to write my book. Um, where he talks about four of his college players going off to play one day, like a Saturday or Sunday, it's, it had been really wet. And so they were discussing what rules they were going to use. You know, do you guys play golf at all? Yeah, I do. I do. So not. yeah, you know, you pick up the ball and clean it and you know, summer rules, winter rules, whatever. And they asked coach panic, like what, what rules should we use? And he's like, listen, you can go out there and play the game of golf or you can make up your rules and call whatever you want, but it won't be golf. So basically Dave, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I get what you're saying and charges drive me crazy sometimes, but what you're, what you're asking is for us to allow a game to be played where only the most powerful players can dominate because LeBron James will get a dunk every time. And if he doesn't get a dunk every time, it's only because you, you send help right at the rim to block it. Cause you can't tr- take the charge. And now that everyone's shooting threes, his guy will get a three every single time. Uh, you, you have to have a risk associated with that committed drive. Now, that being said, I can agree with you on like, for example, the Wisconsin guy, when those are lateral drives that he's jumping in front of, yeah, yeah. if you said to me, let's, let's only call charges on angles to the rim. I embrace it. And I think it's a genius idea. I'm, I'm never a compromise. I'm a compromiser. So that guy is not a threat to score, right? He's just dribbling sideways. You jumped in front of him, right? It's a, it's, it's that quick of a call where you're probably getting half wrong anyway. Right. That's a block every time I'm with it. Love it. And, and right. I think those wind up being the most dangerous, like, yes, and that's right. where this comes from. That's where yeah. this, all of this comes from. I've seen players get hurt on yeah. plays like this and, and not just the guy driving, but also the guy taking the charge. Sure. Of course. Right. It's just a dangerous play. I mean, on, on multiple uh, of those charges of, from the video, he's on his heels. I mean, he's literally on his way down as he jumps into position and it's just garbage. It's yeah. bullshit. 
Uh, I like that. Adam, I think we figured out. I like, there we I, go. Well, I do think there's, yeah, I'm, I'm with coach Thorpe on this, that there are ways you can tweak it to make it maybe more difficult to take a charge. You got to be in position sooner or whatever, but I would also say no charges outside the three point line. Cause there's no play. I like least in basketball than the backcourt charge where a guy just jumps behind a guy who didn't yes. have time to react to him. And so th- I think there's little tweaks, but you take it out as coach Thorpe said, I really like that basketball has become such a skill game. It's already so difficult to defend in the NBA. I mean, the, right. the, the offense is at an advantage almost inherently and positional defense is, is a lot of fun for me. If nerds like me to watch, sure. and if you took an aspect of that away, I think you would lose something. I, I do think a call that needs to be called more often is that, is that forearm push, you know, I mean like LeBron mm-hmm. has made a living, not that he can't get to the rim without doing it, but he gets away with it, right? He's able to clear off the space. And he's so strong. So, well, anyway, enough about banning the charge. I think we all agree. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta solve that problem. Uh, coach, I'll start with you. Wh- what's your innovation? What, what is something that you want to see be like the next wave in the NBA to put you on the spot completely? Are we talking about, uh, how we play? Are we talking about anything, anything? It's wide open. We're we're trying to make another trillion dollars for the NBA. Why? We're just giving <laughs> money. Up money, free money. Now, how, how I mean, how would you improve the game? Let's say even even if it's just from a watchability standpoint, um, you know, like I I mean, I would go no uh, live ball timeouts because I think what you do then you you're actually rewarding the offense when the defense is doing its job. So like if if I mean we see this all the time in college basketball, you get a trap in the backcourt. And they can just take a time out and it bails them out. Well, that doesn't, you know, like, what's the point? And yeah. Europe, I mean, a lot of this is taking stuff from, from Europe and, and applying it here, the good stuff. Like I love the 14 second shot clock reset. I like, I, I probably would do something like uh, three fouls for an individual per half non cum. Mm. So uh, I just, I, I, this is at all levels too, because too many games are decided before we get to the NBA on foul trouble yeah. and people don't realize it. Cause they're not, they're not in college and high school. You think too much about uh, team when reality players, individuals are winning the games. And so it drives me crazy when a guy, you know, especially some of these terrible charge calls that ever come and, and someone's limited. I'd like to see, uh, you know, you, you, you get 3000 a half and you start over second half. I think that'd be good. I'd like to see the one and one, for all non-shooting fouls uh, until whatever number 10 or whatever, like, like college, make these guys, make them take one instead of two. Um, I, I, yeah. I don't know that there's, there's, I mean, my innovations are most on the, on the, on the developmental level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we need better systems to coach our coaches. Uh, we need better systems to coach our parents who just don't really have an idea of what they're supposed to expect from their high school programs and middle school programs or AU programs, they're in the dark. And I know it's an experience because my daughter was a very serious competitive dancer. I know what it feels like to not really know what's going on as a parent because I'm just a dumbass dad when it comes to dancing and what are the rules? What, what's, what's a good score? What should we expect? What, what progress should we be expecting? I don't think enough basketball people, uh, basketball parents know that we're not, we're not informing our parents. Uh, on a national level, what we should be expecting, Adam, for a two and four year old, you, when should they be able to do this, that, and the other, when should they start thinking about this? When they start training for that? We're not doing that uniformly. Serbia is right. Slovenia probably is. We're not, you know, so this is my European experience, right? So in Europe, 
our club, we had, I mean, we had kinder, we had kids that were four years old and we had 75 year olds, you know, like that's how, how many ages that the club spanned. Yeah. But there was a defined, like, this is the progress. This is the right. And I mean, it, it goes down to even, this is the height that you, the basket is while you're playing. So you don't develop bad habits when you're a little kid, you don't have eight year olds trying to chuck the ball, you know, from the free throw line and developing these bad shooting habits and things like that. You know, you don't get to 10 feet. I think until you're like 12 can't remember off the top of my head, but like stuff like that, it's little things that we don't think about. This is actually Kobe. Kobe's trying to do this with his, his youth league, uh, incorporate some of these ideas. I think that's, that's pretty smart. Uh, Adam, go ahead. Well, I had a a question for coach Thorpe here, and I've actually been dying to ask you this for some time and it's about player development because I hear a lot of complaints about AAU and how much players are playing and need to train more. And, And I think there's a lot of obviously very obvious right points to be made there. But one thing I always think about player development, not just in sports, but really in life play, you learn the most through experience. And when you teach yourself, you know, you're put in position to teach yourself how something is done properly with your guided towards teaching yourself. And I wonder sometimes with instructional, you know, I hear this all the time in Europe, they don't even play games. They just practice all year and maybe they'll play four. And I always think a lot of players are, are formed and they learn the, the right lessons just through trial and error and from having great pattern recognition. And I think there's even more players that don't because they have the wrong pattern recognition and reinforcement. But I'm just wondering, where do you fall on this? That so many great players have come through, um, either, you know, AAU or, or the, the, the street, or if you're abroad, you know, not through formal training, but just sort of taught yourself. And then they turn out to be these great players. Where is the balance there between a player is best developed through instruction versus just experience and, and pattern recognition? I've said this a lot. Uh, supposedly I'm the godfather of player development as a business. Obviously there's always been player development, but as a business, you know, people think I kind of started the nineties and I'm a firm believer that players have to play. Yeah. So, you know, I'm supposed to be the shooting expert and skill development guru, whatever bullshit. I want my guys to play. Uh, what you say, Adam, is exactly right. That's where they get their reference points to learn. Uh, and I make the argument all the time in the NBA, the guy that gets 20, 30, 25, 30 minutes a game has such an advantage over the guy that gets five to 10. They might be the same player, but in that 25, 30 minutes, there's so many things he'll learn. And that's just that one game. So you, you, over time, they get so much more. I, I really challenged my son and the young players I coached many years ago to go play as much as they can. Two and two or three and three, five and five, one and one, whatever. There has to be a balance for sure. But uh, the games, what's happening in games, which I call them reference points, that's the content that colors your curriculum the next day. Yeah. That which you failed or that which you weren't confident in. Uh, that's what needs to be worked at. Right. It doesn't mean you don't maintain what you did well, but you got to make sure you address what you didn't do well. As a coach, we're looking at that. Uh, and as a player, you know, in your heart, you may have made the shot, but you may have known it was lucky or you knew you, you thought you were about to turn over and there was a foul call. You're about to turn over, though. And luckily they called a foul somewhere. You should be working on that the next day. Yeah. My so experience, you can't just do one. My experience in Europe was yeah. that I I mean, I scrimmage uh, probably 65% of our practices. We would mm. scrimmage. So we would do station work. We would do like particular work on, you know, uh, 
we need to iron out these issues with the offense or with defense or whatever. And then we would want to put it in the action into action. And, you know, it's a matter of, I can stop a scrimmage at any point and teach. And so I try to, to do that. So you're actually, you're conditioning, you're getting game like reps because guys are playing each other hard. You know, I mean, you play harder against your teammates sometimes than you do against the opposition. I don't know why. Um, and, but I could stop at any point to kind of point out, all right, we need to fix this. We need to do this. I can create new rules, you know, like, uh, we need X amount of passes before a shot and things like that. So you can actually practice. But I think that going at game speed and scrimmaging is the only way that guys actually get better. And really the only way you can judge, Hey, are these practices effective? You know, because there's plenty of guys in a game. They just don't get enough run. You know, you play seven or eight minutes. I can't judge whether you've gotten better That's right. from, from one week to the next, but by scrimmaging in practice, I could see that. Now I was seen as crazy until we saw results. This, so this is nerder nerder. She wrote, and I'm going to take it in the nerdiest <laughs> direction in the history of the podcast here. But, uh, one of, one of the things I like to read about, I don't have any expertise in this. I'm just interested. I think I've heard Jade talk about this as well is neural networks and machine learning, this artificial intelligence that is designed after the human brain to just be pattern recognition. You take any data points, millions, trillions of data points, and you just find the patterns in them. And I think this is how the human brain works with basketball as well. And it's one of my favorite things in, in when I'm studying film is to watch a player go through certain things and be like, why was that successful? Well, here was another example where they did that in the first quarter. And, oh, look, he made an adjustment on the fly because he knew this was going to happen. And I think players like Nikola Jokic, he is one of the best in the NBA, in my opinion, at this, just sort of on the fly, his brain is calculating what's happening out there and adjusting in real time. LeBron, another one who famous for this thing. But the thing is, not every player had, this is a talent. And, and part of the trick with, you know, how much does a player benefit from playing? You were talking, you said earlier, coach, some players will go through these experiences and learn nothing They just, or they'll learn the wrong lessons. And some players don't, some players go through it and they just, they're constantly learning from, from their mistakes and, and from their experiences. And so again, I'm not sure it's the right answer just to say for all players, it's just experience experience. But for some, the best ones, I think, the cream rises to the the top in, in this uh, just from the pattern recognition and the experience over time, learning the game individually. You got to play. You got, you got to let these guys play. It's also way more fun. Um, I, I, I try not to talk too much when I'm training guys. Uh, and, and when I do, it's fast. I learn to talk super fast. I think like my college friends don't remember me talking so fast. I think I learned this uh, and I'm trying to be somewhat paced with you guys, but uh, in my real life, I'm flying and my favorite friends are the ones that I can talk as fast as I want because they can keep up with me on it. And I learned it, I think, from coaching. I just don't want to bore my players. It's not baseball. Right. It's not football. <laughs> right. This is a this is jazz, man. We're going. We're learning from each other. We're flying. Uh, I, the pattern recognition stuff is really good. And um, and also just the. There's there's something to be said, guys, about IQ in this game that I don't think the average fan gets. When I when I watch a game, uh, the guys that really know how to play explode off the screen. They're they're fast, but they're not rushing. They just right. uh, there were, there was two plays in oh, in your game in your game uh, in your game Denver versus Lakers. <laughs> Lonzo Ball had a sick out of bounds save, sick. Yeah. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah, I do. 
Fred, uh, threw it. Are you talking about the one he threw the over the defense? Over yeah. the defense. Yeah. 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 I know the exact play. And then LeBron had another sick out of bounds save uh, going to, to the baskets trying to score at where they just kind of jump and wait for someone. Well, in high school, that's a turnover 95% of the time. Yeah. And the coaches scream at the guy. And then in college and sometimes in the NBA, a player jumps, doesn't really have an option. And turns it over and the announcers, Oh, never do that. Never do that. Bullshit. These guys do it 90% of the time. They do it right. They played so many games. I watch, you know, probably more games than most people on the planet in my office every night. The NBA guys do this routinely because they played so much and the high school kid gets it and throws it right away. Yeah. The pro just holds on to the extra beat, the extra blink. And that's all he needs. And so yeah. we have our guys play. That's something we're trying to do is we're teaching my for the high school team. My son plays that in the offseason. One of the rules we said is there's no inbounds passes after made baskets. So it's catch and go. We're trying to get super fast. We're mm. doing that because once the season goes on, we're trying to teach them how to play fast and under control. Right. Our opponent doesn't have that. Our, our opponent thinks, oh, we can play this fast. And they can, they just make a lot more mistakes. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. You talked about Lonzo though. Cause I think this has been talked about before I've heard it somewhere, but I know that LeVar had the, his sons playing at just a breakneck pace growing up and oh, ridiculous. aside from whatever really? you know strategy, I do wonder sometimes if you're getting 50% more reps and reps yeah, at just a right. faster pace. So your brain has, you're training right. your brain to be quick. And a lot of times it's funny. I always, whenever we had uh, analyze draft prospects, we always talk about their quickness. The mental quickness is a real skill. That's almost never talked about how quickly are they able to make the right reads? Um, that's such a huge skill. And I think it's becoming an increasingly important skill as half court pace sort of picks up and becomes more trendy. And they're the training for that. Dave, have you seen this the, the I have. lights and everything? I yeah. don't, I don't do it. I, Steph I, Curry I, with the, with the lasers or yeah, whatever. I, I have some players that really like it. Uh, I wonder, guys, I haven't let my son do it yet. I wonder if the next innovation might be something like that at the combine where you actually get a thing where you're, you're, you know, you've got, here's the test. How quickly can you do it? You know, not a wonder lick because that, that actually is not related to the sport, but something where you actually do get to see, all right, how quickly do you recognize things, patterns, yeah. stuff like that? Because you look at a guy like, this is why I don't worry about Lonzo ball figuring it out and becoming a good player because he, he obviously has amazing feel of the game and it's, you can only know that by watching him play. I don't know that you can judge it based on, on any sort of uh, measurements at this point. Um, No, I I think, I think your what you just said is really good about, uh, he he knows how to play and he feels it. And that that when we, we use the term feel, maybe we should be saying pattern recognition in a sense. Yeah. My boy, we're talking about, but when you guys say innovation, it makes me think of this. Uh, did you read about the Chinese scientist who said he cloned his first designer? The CRISPR Cas9 baby. Yeah. 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 So I, I told uh, my buddy Henry Abbey yesterday, um, uh, we're going to have team China in 2040, 2040 is going to be a team of Giannis Antetokounmpo's. Yes. <laughs> and it's going to be against team USA, but team of LeBron's. Uh, if we allow that to happen, we're going to be much more about power and speed. And they're going to go, they're, they're not going to beat us with power and speed. So they'll go find the Chinese version. And I coached some Chinese kids who were really long athletic players. Yeah. High level. One of them carried the flag in the Olympics for his team. Um, they're going to be a bunch of Giannis's seven foot guards. 
seven yeah. foot, sculpt him up with with weights and everything, whereas LeBron is kind of bulkier power. But that's where it's going to go uh, if we allow it. All right. So I want to circle back to the charge conversation um, yeah. because because Jade sent me this uh, this quote from from Greg Popovich uh, where he talked about the how we're playing a different game. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to read it to you guys. These days, there's such an emphasis on the three because it's proven to be analytically correct. Now you look at the stat sheet after a game and the first thing you look at is threes. If you made threes and the other team didn't, you win. You don't even look at the rebounds or how the turnovers or how the transition D was involved. You don't even care. That's how much of an impact the three shot three point shot has made. And it's evidenced by how everyone plays. I hate it, but I always have. I've hated the three for 20 years. This is why I make a joke all the time. If we're going to make it a different game, let's have a four point play. Cause if, it, if they like the three, they'll like the four people will jump out of their seats. If you had a five point play, there's no basketball anymore. There's no beauty in it. It's pretty boring, but it is what it is. And you need to work with it. Okay. So he's just this, an old man. I know in this quote, he says, this has been the game the entire time he's been a coach, by the way, I just want to point this out. And I, I love Greg Popovich. Yeah, I think Greg Popovich is the greatest coach in history, yeah. but this has been the game. He has coached his entire life with the three pointer. Now people didn't realize how smart it was to shoot him back in the day. Okay. Uh, so you had some guy lead the league with like 55 one year. Um, but when you know it's this important and you have a team that shoots it as well as San Antonio does, they, I mean, they're hitting like 40% of them right now but they're like second to last in the league in number of attempts. Now at a certain point, you're, you're just going against the flow for the sake of it. Like this can't be good. Like this is not a good thing. This is, this is stubborn in spite of all of the evidence. And you have to wonder if San Antonio would be more successful if pop just didn't want to prove a point. I always find it weird when people put a qualitative value on a style of play or, or something. Cause I never understand why do you hate a specific thing? I can get, if you think things are too monotonous or what have you, but I actually think there's a, a fair amount of variety in how teams arrive at their three point shots. And then also the one thing I'll say is, one of the big things that's changing in the NBA right now over the last several years is the wings are just getting longer. The guards are getting longer. And I think with that comes better perimeter, uh, con uh, contesting the three point line, just cause you have longer guys out, out there challenging. So I think this is, I don't think the three point shots going anywhere, but I do think the, the a team's ability to defend the three point line is, is evolving just as the entire game is evolving. Yeah. And then there'll be an adjustment to, uh, paint shots, uh, having, right. right. You know, think about it this way. We've got a situation now where Marco Saul is shooting early transition threes and it's beautiful. It's great. And he's good, right? He's also the best defensive player in the world right now, in my <laughs> opinion, by, by a significant margin. Fantastic. His defense is just incredible right now. Um, how long before we start having guards that can really post up? Because mm -hmm. that's, that's something that we need to start seeing as teams do what they're doing. Uh, we, we got big guys that can play small. We need to get small guys that can play big and take advantage of uh, uh, similar defenders that can't guard the post. And that used to be a thing. Oh, right? absolutely. Like, I mean, Mark Jackson right, did yeah. it. Uh, yeah. Jordan did it. Andre Miller Kobe. was good at the post. Right. I, mean, I and, loved and Andre Miller at the post. You've, you've got a couple yeah. of guys. Like, I thought D'Angelo Russell, his first couple of years, actually showed a lot of promise there. And, and Andrew I mean, Wiggins did too. He's not a guard. He's not little. Right. He's huge. But uh, and, then, and then you start appreciation, appreciating like – Good luck trying to post up Chris Paul or Jameer Nelson in the day. 
Well, those motherfuckers were not letting you post up. Well, hell, and there's a value to that. Right. I mean, uh, there's an argument to be made that James Harden's the best post defender in the league. And he he gives Jokic a lot of problems in the post, surprisingly. The the Rockets understand that you're not dead on a switch on a post up. I mean, you know, like the Eric Gordon, here's their rule. You get in there, you're posting up, you're going to play defense. You're going to fight like hell. And if they score, they score. But I mean, a post up in and of itself is an inefficient shot because you're guarded no matter yeah. what I mean, it is yeah. a, a definitely unless a you're Zach ran up Blake Griffin, right? There's like, like exactly. 11 dudes on the planet that can give you an advantage, get buckets, no matter what. Yeah. Embiid, the, the, yeah. the thing that's interesting about basketball is just like in life, it is impossible to be great at everything. You, right. you work so hard to be great at as many things as you can. And I thought last year, the warriors were a lot better than the rockets in a vacuum, just at everything. The rockets happened to be really good at one thing. The warriors had a weakness for it. It made for a very compelling series. I think basketball will always be this way. It might take a year or two for the league to catch up to whatever trend the best team is setting, but it goes, that's the way it goes. Look at, look at football. I don't, I don't look at football, but I heard someone talk about this (laughs) yesterday. Uh, There are quarterbacks that are having like three incompletions in a game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not that there was no, I know there's rules that help with that. Sure. A great deal. Um, I don't know if that's good football or not. Uh, there's supposed to be some failure in sport, right? There's supposed to be some failure. Otherwise it's just scripted entertainment. Right. And that's where I think pop is talking about when he said it's uh, it's boring is the pick and roll can be boring, but I would argue it's the, it's the directors, it's the coaches, because uh, like we, like I tell the coaches, I help play as many different kinds of defense as possible, mix it up all the time. Yeah. Uh, because that makes them think and you got to make them think. I, I can understand from an aesthetic point of view. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a basketball junkie, right? So I miss the old days where, you know, when I was a kid, I used to go out on the playground and I would practice different shooting, like different guys, uh, different, you know, free throw routines. It, I mean, I, I just did all that weird stuff. And now almost, you know, most guys kind of shoot alike, you know, there's a right and wrong way, so to speak, uh, on how to do things. I can understand from an aesthetic point of view, uh, man, I wish we could see some more mid rangers. I, I, I do like the mid range jump shot. Like it's, it's nice when like you get a guy taking that, you know, giving that pump fake at the three dribbling in two steps and pulling up and hitting that jumper. It's beautiful. But the truth is it's not a winning basketball play anymore because basketball has been baked down to a math equation. So I but get, yeah. I get the pushback from pop is what I mean. But Here's where I disagree. And and it, look, this is, I think more of an opinion thing, just what people like than anything else. But here, here teams are getting the same shots by and large, because we've learned that those are valuable shots, but how they arrive at them is just so different. And the players that they use to arrive at those shots are so different. Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis all play the same position. They're all so different. They all do so many different things. You have Giannis plays essentially the point guard role. And so does Steph Curry. They couldn't be more different players. And so to me, I look at this era of basketball and this idea of the unicorn, it, it's almost comical because it's used so much, but it's actually accurate. There is very few prototypes for any position anymore. And there's just such wild experimentation with, with what types of players can do, what types of roles. And I find that interesting, even if the end result is, is similar. Yeah. We got to come up with a different word because whatever Giannis is, it is not what anyone else is. <laughs> a unicorn just doesn't work. That guy is just what he's doing right now is unprecedented. I mean, 27, 13 and six, it's never been done. Those kind of numbers have never been done. 
I put this on Twitter the other day. Do you remember the little basketball nerf hoops that you would hang on the back of a door and yes. you and your buddies would just try to dunk on each other or whatever. That's, what that's how Giannis, that's how he plays. It's he's always within dunking range and he's just trying to dunk through the angle over you. Yeah. He's dunked like almost a hundred times or right at a hundred times in 20 games. His, his really, his yeah. spin move covers about 14 feet. So it's just, it's impossible to cover him from the right side of his yeah. shoulder to the left when he spins. He'll be the next guy. They change the rules to try to contain that. I, like, I just don't know what you do. Uh, we're going to put a limit on wingspan or something. I don't know. He's just insane. Uh, so I think this is probably a good place to wrap up. Uh, Adam, I'll start with you. Uh, any final thoughts, anything you're going to be paying attention to over the next few weeks? Oh man. Put me on the spot. Um, (laughs) the Western conference should start to shake out a little bit more over the coming weeks. The first 20 games, it's always fun to overreact to, Oh, look at this is the surprise team. I mean, the Clippers have been phenomenal. They're three games out of a three game losing streak away from falling out of the playoffs. So I think the next couple weeks you start to see the trends become a little bit more solidified for what's going to happen. So that's what I'm curious to see. I think Christmas is kind of like the, the spot that we've marked on the calendar that, it's uh, it's very predictive of what the playoffs is going to look like. Um, yeah. Obviously, last year with Utah, that was a little weird. But, uh, Coach, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit off of uh, the NBA, although I will say oh. uh, Houston's disaster continues, and I, I they'll do something. They 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 cannot. We're 25 percent of the way in now. Daryl's a math guy. Like this is not trending in a good way. Um, but just the last couple of days, one one last yesterday in particular. Uh, a lot of our fans, a lot of people who listen to us, I think, have kids that play uh, or, or want to have kids that will play. Uh, I just want to write a quick love letter to the sport. Uh, it was 43 degrees yesterday morning, in where I, which is the coldest probably in since last uh, uh, January or so. And at 6 o'clock in the morning, my son was out there on a game day, day, day one of his first game, working on his handle, doing his jumping rope, whatever. I don't, I don't get up in to see him, but my wife told me she was, he was doing it. And then they had the first game and he missed five weeks with a hip pointer, hip injury. So he only had like two practices, came back, started first game of the year on a road game against a tough opponent. And he's playing with his best friends. He, he goes to a local school. He doesn't go to a private school and everyone lives within five, 10 minutes away. A lot of them live three minutes away and they're his best friends. And uh, uh, he and one of his teammates who he's played with since he was eight. Um, and then his, one of his other best friends he's known for a couple of years. And when they knew they had pulled off the big upset, which for them wasn't an upset, they thought they'd win and they probably were right to think that, but no one else thought they would. Even my mom went to the game. She thought we'd lose by 40 before the game started because the, the other team is huge and athletic and we're not. But um, to look in my son's eyes when he looked at his best friend and he, he said, let's fucking go, you know, but the game was over and it was almost like, hey, we're, we're doing something and we're doing it with the people we love most in the world man, that's the best thing about sports. Uh, and then he had to come home and shower and study and eat. I wasn't lying when I said earlier, that's his life. Shower, <laughs> study, eat a lot, play, work. Uh, that's the most joyous time of his day. And if you have kids or you're young yourself and you can find something you love to do with the people you love being around, go do it as much as you can, because that's not how life gets to be typically as you age. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see. He's going to have some terrible losses. He'll probably cry. I'm fine with that because he cares. Uh, but it gets him up every day, excited to do something. And that's, that's the beauty of our sport, I think. 
I agree. I actually have nothing else to add after well, that. Well, very well said. Gosh. And uh, actually, I will actually I will add that that Coach Thorpe. This is one of the reasons I really enjoy your analysis is, and your book as well because it's full of these types of things of connecting basketball to life, which is you know I think this is why we love sports. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Uh, for Jade Hoy, for Adam Marez, for Coach David Thorpe, I am David Fourth. Thank you guys for joining us. Dope. Phenomenal. That was awesome. Uh-huh.